Well, today is the beginning of Holy Week, and we will have service this Friday night at 7, as I said. I love our Good Friday service to prepare our hearts for next Sunday, Easter celebration. Um, it's going to be such a wonderful time to celebrate the pinnacle of our faith and to allow culture to come alongside and celebrate what we celebrate really every day, every Sunday, and that is Jesus is alive, and he's alive and well. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 34. Just a couple of minutes, we'll get to that scripture. Uh, but today I want to talk to you about the table of the Lord, and it's an opportune time to talk about that, because if you haven't noticed, especially if you're sitting in the back, as we have uh, these beautiful new tables here to hold our communion. Everybody's now looking up like, really? Yes, they're here. Um, these are some tables that some guys in our church uh, designed and worked on, and we've been working on together. Uh, the bases were created by Brian Gregory, and then uh, the, the tops and, and the design of the tables were designed by Aubrey McGowan, who frequently leads worship and preaches. And so um, th this is a, a, a unique piece. This is actually sycamore wood uh, that came from a tree here in Middle Tennessee that, uh, I guess, lost its purpose, <laughs> and now it's been repurposed. So we, we, um, we wanted something that uh, fit this room, fit a contemporary uh, type of expression as this has what's called a live edge to it, but at the same time um, gives us some deeper meaning to the table of the Lord. And that's kind of what today is. Today is a chance for me to talk about one of the three streams that we have at different times. I'll emphasize different parts of the three streams. CIL, we call ourselves a three streams church. And those three streams are liturgical, evangelical, and charismatic. Let me talk about a couple of those just real quick. Is I've never been more more dependent upon the scripture than ever before. I love teaching the Bible. I love the fact that journeys are K through third, connections are fourth and fifth grade. Right now our sixth and seventh grade students are learning the Bible. And when I teach to you, I want to teach you the Bible. I want you to create, I, want, I hope that my ministry helps create a hunger for the scripture in you because that is what will last. When it comes to the charismatic stream, these days I'm feeling more connected with the power of the Holy Spirit than I have in any time in my, in my, my really my life. I, I feel a freshness from the Spirit. It's very personal, it's very, uh, it's very fitting. It, it's like, a, it's like finding, finding my, uh, five stones and sling. I no longer have to wear Saul's armor, to use that metaphor. And I feel very, very, um, very relational with the Holy Spirit. So I, I see the best ahead of us when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit moving contextually as we're a unique church and we're a unique people. And so the Holy Spirit moves in those unique ways. And then there's this the liturgical stream, which is something I know the least about because I didn't grow up in this tradition, but it's the part of us that read 
we read together prayers off the screen that come from the Book of Common Prayer or for the Valley of Vision, prayers that based off scriptures have been prayed by God's people for hundreds of years. And at least once a month we recite the Apostles' Creed that have been said by Christians for centuries. And we offer communion in some element each week. And every service I end with number six, blessing, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Not because I have to, not because I'm required to, but because I want to, because language forms us. And I love extemporaneous prayers, prayers that just come from the heart and from the soul and the spirit, even prayers of the spirit. But then prayers that are prepared and crafted according to Scripture bring power. So all of these things come together that God's bringing together the great traditions of His church so we can be a fully formed people. So that so we can be a people that benefit from the Scripture, submitted to the Scripture, open to the power of the Holy Spirit, and stepping in and stepping into the future on the shoulders of the tradition that God has given us. And so the table of the Lord is quite a tradition in our faith, even going all the way back to our Jewish roots. And that's why, probably if you grew up in church, almost every church you've ever grown up in, even if it was an evangelical church that never recited creeds or never recited prayers, there was some type of table at the front that the communion would stand on and it would say, maybe in remembrance of me, some of these were mass produced and, and maybe there was a flower arrangement. And in most churches in America, evangelical churches, that's about all that there was. And about 30 years ago, 25 years ago, around 1990, let's say, those tables started disappearing from churches. And I must admit, I was a teenager when that happened and I was among those who was trying to get rid of the old furniture in the church. And as I became a youth pastor, and I started plant, and I planted, it was part of two church plants. And if you consider this church a church plant, three church plants. And each time it was somewhat moving people into the future and trying to say, well, I don't know if the table of the Lord is relevant anymore. And no doubt that aesthetics is a consideration, is it not? So some of our tables maybe are not appealing to the eye. And I suppose someday there's going to be someone pastoring this church when I'm gone, and they're going to like, get rid of the tables. All right, maybe, you know, if you think about that, all things are temporal, right? Even our physical bodies are temporal. So we know this as uh, symbolic, symbolic expressions are not eternal. Only our faith is eternal. So, as much as we love this building, someday it may be tore down. As much as we, we love our symbols, they won't last. But for now, uh, the symbols are, are helpful and good. And so it is that today, we'll dedicate these tables to the Lord, knowing that they won't be here forever. And they're going to serve us and be very useful to our faith now. And they're going to help us as we continue to step forward into the three streams of what God wants for us. So, let's talk about a table. You're probably going to sit around a table this afternoon. And whenever I talk about lunch, it's never a good idea, especially the 1045 service. 
But I love sitting around the table at my house. You know, we don't always do that. Sometimes we, we, put, we sit in the couches and kind of gather around the TV if there's a ball game or something we want to see. Most of, a lot of times in our family, we kind of eat in phases because of the different schedules, right? I like to eat a little, I cook a lot. I like to eat a little bit earlier. Beth eats a little bit later. Luke has, he likes to eat a little earlier in the day. Then Abby, she has her dance, so she likes to eat after her dance practice. You understand how that works in families. But isn't it wonderful when we all gather around the table? Isn't it great when we gather around the table and the TV is turned off and the cell phones are put away? My kids never like it when, I t- when Beth and I say we're sitting at the table today. They never like it at first. But they always like it in the end because the table facilitates relationship. The table facilitates conversation. The table is a sign of friendship. And the table is a sign of worship. And so it was that even in the ancient world when people would worship um, gods other than our gods, who who are fake gods, um, they, they would offer bread and wine on tables as a sign of fellowship with the deity. And so the Jewish people, uh, they were wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And at one time, their, their, their table was just a, um, a, a kind of an animal skin that, that when it wasn't worship, but when they were sharing a meal, they would do so in what their gathering places were, in their tents. And there was something together around. And then as the tabernacle was established, which was a precursor to the temple, which was a foretelling of the gospel. The table meant something. So I want us to start now. In Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, and if you found that, we'll start in verse 23. And this is for the instructions of the Lord. You are to construct a table of wood, 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, and 27 inches high. And he goes ahead and he gives very specific instructions. And, and those specific instructions this morning are, are not relevant. What's relevant is the care and precision that God put into the table. So you can kind of, we can kind of skim over verse 24, going on to the next slide, verse 20, 25, all the way to 36. And you can kind of skim in your Bible as I'm doing or skim on the screen. Let's, let's get all the way to that last verse 30. And this is the instructions of the Lord. Put the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. Again, this is a very uh, common expression of ancient worship because all worship outside of the true God points to the true, of, true God. This idea of the sustainability of bread, the sustainability of the table, the bread in the cup, we cannot survive without the bread. We cannot survive without the cup, without the nutrition of food, and without the hydration of liquid. So it is that this idea of fellowship with deity. And God said, I want you to make the table, and as part of your worship, and and you understand, guys, I'm just skimming this today in this type of setting here. As part of your worship, part of your worship is to keep the bread of the presence, that which symbolizes the presence of God, that which symbolizes relationship with God, that, that which symbolizes 
dependence on God. And I, I want us to understand this because for now, I, I've been a senior pastor for 12 years, been at this church nine years, and every Sunday we've had some form of communion. So I don't see a reason why we won't have some form of communion in the future. It may be as we leave, if you want to take communion, it's available. And, and so we, we respond to the sermons and, and we get in our lines and, we, and, we, and, and it's a beautiful sight for me to see. But I think it's easy that we forget the purpose of that. And I want you to understand that when you choose, on the Sundays you choose to take communion, you are continuing this great spiritual heritage that has sprung out of Judaism, which Christianity springs out of that. And this symbolic bread and this symbolic cup is physically saying to the world and to yourself, I'm in relationship with the living God. I'm not just going to church for social reasons. Hey, though we benefit socially from going to church, we do. I won't belittle that. I won't even say that's not important. But I'm not just going to church for social reasons. I'm not going to church because I'm scared of going to the negative afterlife hell. I'm not having a work-based salvation. I'm in fellowship with this living God. And every day of my life, unless I'm choosing to fast, I'm going to eat, I'm going to drink. And the Lord is calling the most common thing, the bread and the cup, and he's saying, I'm calling it holy, and I'm calling it symbolic, and I'm using it as a trigger to connect you with my presence. There's a deep, deep fellowship that happens at the table. There's a deep, deep fellowship that's symbiotic of our relationship of God, with God. And it not only, not only does it declare our relationship to God, to the world, it reminds ourselves, And that's why regular worship is so important. It, it reminds us, listen to me, I want you to hear something. And I'm saying stuff because I'm saying stuff like this about me leaving because I have no plans to leave. In fact, I, I, I feel the opposite. I feel established right now. That's why I'm comfortable saying this. But if I'm not your pastor, and if you're not going to this church, and if your life is a wreck at some point, not that those things are connected, but I'm just saying, if that, if that happens, <laughs> or if you're living in a... If you're living in a foreign country someday where they don't have the type of music that you like and, and, and don't, don't have sizable churches and, and all of the different circumstances of your life are stripped away, you always have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and you always have communion as a reminder of who you are. Communion reminds us who we are. We are not just people who are dispensing religion to consumers. We're part of a story. We're part of a family. We're part of a tradition. We're part of a heritage that's greater than a single man, a single denomination, a single entity, a single church. We're part of something special. And that's what the bread and the cup reminds us of. So when the stuff that happens up here is off, we want it to be the best it can. You don't connect with the music. You don't connect with the preaching. I wasn't very funny. I don't have any um, funny stories today to, to really make you laugh and you're disappointed. In that. Oh, the table cuts through all that. The table says Jesus is the center. 
table says Jesus is our all in all. The table says we're going back to the cross and the resurrection and the power of the fellowship and the power of the communion. And this is a tradition that we're part of. And so the first point today, it took me a long time to get to the first point. If you're nervous, I'm more nervous, okay? All right, so, so we're aware. We're time aware. The, the, the first point today is, is the table of the Lord informs our roots. I want you to write down, the table of the Lord informs our roots. And in what sociologists have been calling the last 30 years, the postmodern era that we're entering, entering into, pastors like to say that word because it sounds real important, but I found most of them don't understand what it means. We're, we're not quite there, but we're entering into this postmodern world and where this is, as we move into a time where we don't trust the industrial revolution and we don't trust reason and we don't trust science and we don't trust institutions and we don't trust our politicians and we don't trust man's ability to cause and save all problems. That's what being postmodern means. Then being postmodern means we actually go back to our roots. The way forward is the way back. The way forward is to realize that um, we're not looking at a 20 to 30 year time span and in this type of anxiety that like if things don't change quick or pop quick or things don't progress in a second then everything's going to fall no we're part of a bigger story that we're part of the bigger story that God is redeeming the world he's redeeming all creation and God is more powerful than us God is more powerful than the United States of America Uh uh-oh God's more powerful than denominations that come and go and churches that come and go and pastors who rise and fall. Isn't that comforting today? We need roots. And the table of the Lord informs us of our roots and it informs us of our Jewish roots. It informs us of our Roman Catholic roots. Because you know that all Christians were Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox until 15, approximately 1517. Doesn't mean I want to be that again. Doesn't mean I'm called to, I don't think we're called to be that. But St. Augustine, Thomas Akempis, all of the great the, the thinkers who formed Western theology came from the Catholic Church. Now, the Catholic Church needs to be reformed. I thank God for Wycliffe. I thank God for Martin Luther. I thank God for Calvin and Arminian who were, were part of reforming the church. And then the last 150 years, the last 200 years, there's been all of these wonderful Protestant denominations from which I come from. The Anglican tradition, to the Methodist tradition, to the Holiness tradition, to the Pentecostal tradition, the Anabaptist tradition from which Southern Baptist and all the congregational churches come from. You know what we all have in common? We all have in common the table of the Lord. We all have that in common. We may do it quarterly. Some of us may do it every six months. Some of us may forget to do it until Christmas Eve. But we all get back to because the Lord has established it as an ordinance. that says, I'm going to take something physical and visible and my grace is in it. I'm going to take something tangible, something that you can taste with your senses, something you can feel with your hands, something that is ordinary. It's something that um, is even, you could say, grotesque in the natural, but in the supernatural, God has called it blessed, and he's taken us to a place of remembrance, and it's taken us to a place of roots. When I take communion, it reminds me that I'm part of a story. Because, you know, sometimes my story's not going that well. Right? 
Sometimes I'm not really happy with my character. Sometimes I'm not happy with the progress of stuff I'm in charge of. Sometimes I'm not happy with where I am in life. You know, I deal with that stuff too. Those are earthly thoughts. But I'm part of a bigger story. It's bigger than me. God's redeeming the world. He's informing our roots. And so when the temple was developed, and we, we see in, in, I believe it's 2 second, second Kings 9, 1 Kings chapter 7, excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 48, Solomon made all the equipment in the Lord's temple, the gold altar, and the gold table that the bread of the presence was placed on. So the temple, which we no longer exist, now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But what a physical reminder of our roots and who we are and what God, who God has called us to be. This is another thing I love about the table. I've already referred to this somewhat. Is the table invites us. This is the second thing that I want you to write down. It invites us to the present. So it's just not about tradition. It's not about roots only. It's not about where we came from. The table of the Lord is about where we are right now. And, you know, the, uh, the old advice, the old dad advice I want to I want to give some of you young men in here. You know, if you kind of like a girl, but you're not quite sure, ask her to coffee, not on a date, all right? Because then you can check it out. But if, if, if this is your one opportunity, and, and she said yes, but it was a reluctant yes, it's not Starbucks or East Nashville coffee time. You've got a window, best restaurant, the longest date possible. The best music venue. Are you with me? All right. Why? Because the international language of fellowship is the meal. Sharing a drink. Sharing a meal. Jonathan had a covenant with a guy named David. It was a covenant that lasted a whole lifetime. Years and years later, David was king and he was powerful. And he discovered that Jonathan had a grandson named, I always have trouble saying this, Meshibabeth. <laughs> I say it fast enough, you won't know the difference. And this grandson, as we'll call him the next service, this grandson was crippled and lame. And when David found him, the scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, I believe, says this, verse 7, Don't be afraid, David said, since I intend to show you kindness because of your father, Jonathan. It was, I'm sorry, it was his father, not his, his grandfather. I will restore to you all your grandfather's souls filled, and you will always eat meals at my table. This is, as the Old Testament always is, a foretelling of the gospel, foretelling of what Jesus has done for us. In the ancient world, when you ate at your own table, it was up to you. All the expense was on you. All the preparation was on you. But when you went to the king's table, it was a treat. The king's table was provision. The king's table was safety. The king's table was nourishment. The king's table takes away the anxiety of where tomorrow's food's going to come from. 
because there's no one else in the land that has the resources of the king. And the table of the Lord tells us that we're invited. Luke, um, Psalm 23, verse 5, one of the most influential scriptures. I hardly ever officiate a funeral without reciting Psalms 23. In the middle of this great, this great song, the psalmist saying, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. In the middle of chaos, in the middle of opposition, in the middle of anxiety and fear, the table of the Lord has been prepared for you. Isn't it great to know that, you know, we all come into this room with lots of different emotions. It's kind of like one of those carousels at the music park. Some of you are up, some of you are down. Some of you are like, I want to sing the happy song at the beginning because it's been a great week. Some of you are like, oh, brother, get this over with. And then those minor keys come in, those brooding. Yeah, that's where we're at. We're up, we're down. We're all different places, right? We're, we're all at different places um, emotionally. So at those times when you come in here and your world is in upheaval or your mood is just bad or disruptive, there's a table waiting for you. It's a metaphorical table. You understand that, don't you? It's a metaphorical table, but the table of the Lord, maybe, maybe for the, the next time period when you see these tables that Aubrey designed and Brian helped build, you know, built by the hands of man, they're just tables, but maybe they can be assembled to you that the table's open to you. The table of the Lord. In the presence of your enemy, God prepares a place for you that even when everyone is against you, there's a place of fellowship. There's a place of community. There's a place of connection. It's not just about our roots, even though that's valuable. It's about right now. The presence of God is here right now. We are not people observing history. We're people living out the presence. The story of salvation and the gospel story is unfolding Amidst us. It's unfolding within us. The gospel story is alive. And that's what the table tells me. That I've been invited. It's a place of provision and protection. And even in the presence of enemies, there's a table. So we go to New Testament teaching. As Paul, who was one of the most educated men in the Jewish faith, he was a Pharisee himself, understanding the law and explaining to us what Jesus did through this cross, as you see this cross, which is also a wonderful reminder to us as we see this today. And he talks about this symbolic act known as communion. In the first Corinthians chapter 10, it, it's, it is somewhat lengthy. It is somewhat cumbersome. But would you, would you read it with me? Turn to your Bibles if you have them. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Now, I just want, I want us to, to think about this. Idolatry was very tempting to the people in Corinth. It was very alluring if you didn't, it was, it was okay to worship this Jesus as long as you worship the idols too. And it's not much different from us. And, and I want you to think about modern day idolatry. The things that we're worshiping. We're worshiping money. We're worshiping power. We're worshiping beauty. Not in an appropriate way, but in a humanistic way. We're, we're worshiping, our idolatry is very subtle. 
because our idolatry is wrapped within Southern Christianity. It's, it's, it's quite possible, I know because I've done it before, to be involved in Southern Christianity and to, be, to have idolatry in my heart. It's quite possible. And so we have our idols, don't we? We have our idols that we bow to, that we worship, that we spend our money to. We have our idols that Christ is subservient to. I mean, Jesus is okay as long as he doesn't disrupt our idol. So you, you know what those idols are in your life. Yeah, they're metaphorical idols because I don't think many of you have a physical idol that you, sim- that you worship. I mean, we worship the orange tea. We worship the black and gold V. And you think I'm joking. I'm, ser- I'm, I'm serious. We devote our worship to those sports teams. We do. We, we worship public figures. You, you get it. Wow, time, time is running down on me, isn't it? Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I'm speaking as to wise people. Judge for yourself what I say. Verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For all of us share that one bread. Look at the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partners in the altar? What am I saying then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be partners with demons. Now look at verse 21. There's a lot going on in the scripture, but this is the heart, what God wants to share with you today. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Now, th- this is what happens, this symbolic table of the Lord. Here, here on this, this day, the second Sunday, we're all going to have the opportunity to have communion. We're going to disperse it in a little bit. And the table is a symbol of that. It's coming from the table. And the Lord is, the, the Lord is saying, and he said to the Apostle Paul, you can't share the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You can't do that. You, you cannot participate in witchcraft and also participate in the table of the Lord. You cannot participate in, in, in willfully and unashamedly participate in the ways of the world in rebellion and also the table of the Lord. And that's why before we take communion, every week we repent. We repent. Because taking communion doesn't mean you're perfect. Because I would never be qualified to take communion by my righteousness. But every time before I go to the Lord's table, I have to say, God, where is sin in my life? Take away that sin. I change my mind. Listen, even when I like my sin, I say, God, I change my mind and I agree with you. What you said is wrong, it's wrong. And I come to your table, Lord. The table of the Lord is present. It's a point of change. It's a present reality right now. The table of the Lord causes us to go to a point of change. 
And there's some weeks I don't take the Lord's table um, for practical reasons. I know some of you, there's weeks you choose not to take the Lord's table. And that doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong in your life. You, you have your reasons. And we believe in the priesthood of the believer. If there's a reason why you don't take, there's no suspicion cast on you. Right? There, there's no suspicion. We don't think well, something's wrong with your life. There may be very valid and good reasons. You just want the cup of the Lord to pass. But I do know this, is that, that when you hold the bread, you hold the cup, before you take it, it's a time to say, Lord, I repent of my sin. Lord, I, I, I repent of anything. Lord, I don't want to worship the table of demons. That's a really strong word, is it not? And it needs to feel strong. You may say, well, what does that mean? You know what it means. You know what it means. The works of the flesh are obvious. Do I really have to list to you what sin is for you to know what sin is? I really don't. The work of the flesh is obvious. We know it. We know what the work of the flesh is. Here, here's the third point. The table of the Lord declares our future. This is what's awesome. We're not people stuck in a tradition. Our tradition pulls us to the eternal or it pushes us into the eternal. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 22. Jesus said these words. I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Do you see that word? Just like David said to Jonathan's son, hey, you're crippled, and you're a social outcast, and even my advisors think you should be dead. But I say, you're never you're never going to be hungry again because you will always have a place at my table. This is foreshadowing the gospel. Jesus looks at us who are full of sin, who are full of bad habits, who are full of motives that we would be embarrassed about. We're full of all of this stuff, even as religious people. We don't have it together. And Jesus said, I love you so much that I took all of that all of that upon me on the cross. And now there's a new kingdom. There's a new way. And there's a table set for you. Jesus says, I bestow on you a kingdom. Just as my father bestowed one on me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Guys, this is not talking about the future. This is talking about now. Eternal life doesn't start when we breathe our last breath on life. Eternal life starts when salvation touches our hearts today. Eternal life starts when we be acknowledged Jesus is the only way. He's the only only truth. He's the only life. And regeneration happens. When we were once not sons, not daughters, we're adopted by his grace. And the kingdom of God is not about the future. The kingdom is right now. That's what it is. It's the already not yet kingdom of God. It's already here and it's not yet fully seen and heard and understood. And the table of the Lord says we are declaring our future. That we are Eating from the table of the Lord because Jesus has prepared a table for us. I'm going to ask our ushers to go to the back to begin to position themselves. And I want to remind you of what's going to happen in Revelation chapter 19. The book of Revelation declares our future. The book of Revelation, it, it, much of it's metaphorical, much of it's hard to understand, but we do understand the heart of God. We do understand the character of God. We do understand the promise of God. And this is what will happen in the future. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, 
Hallelujah. Because our Lord God, the Almighty, has begun to reign. This is the already not yet kingdom of God. It's already here, but it has not yet fully come into fruition. But now it has. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give Him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has prepared herself. That's the church. That's us. We prepared ourselves for the bridegroom. She was permitted to wear fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. How many know that you can't really have a good feast without a table, can you not? Do you see that from the beginning, in the wilderness, to the tabernacle, uh, to the temple, to Jesus at the Last Supper, to the Apostle Paul as he invited us to the table of the Lord instead of the table of demons, to what's going to happen in the future when the full reign of Jesus comes and he says, now I'm with my bride and there's a wedding feast, there's a table. What we do, guys, is not some kind of historic, uh, kind of uh, um, habitual act when we go to the Lord's table. We Yes, we understand our roots, but we are declaring the present in the future, that the power of God is here with us now. The presence of God is with us now. This symbolic act says that His presence has marked us, and we're taking all of Him. And then we declare to this tired and weary world that there's a better future coming. We're not always going to be part of decay. We're not always going to be part of destruction. We're not always going to be in a world that's getting worse and worse and worse. Because when the kingdom that's established now in, in limited reign now fully comes, Jesus is going to rule and reign. And he has set and prepared his table for us. This is the power of God in the symbolic table. Amen? All right. I told you I was excited about this sermon. No funny stories today. Sorry. Unless you thought the coffee and lunch thing was funny. I thought it was funny. By the way, I took Beth to like a huge dinner. I took her out to, uh, bought her stuff at the mall when I first dated her. Okay, all right. Well, come on, don't, don't let the details get in the way of a good story. I know, isn't it great that the table of the Lord is invited to us? Let's pray together. Father, Lord, thank you for stirring your heart today. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the truth of God's word. And I thank you, Lord, that we're people with roots. We've been praying for a long time, as Lord, to give us roots. We need roots. We need roots for the days to come. The Lord wants you to know that. You need roots for the days to come. You, you, need, you need to have a sense of establishment. Don't be among those who, who are just planted just for a season and your roots never go down. You keep getting uprooted, uprooted, uprooted. The Lord says you need roots. You need roots. We're people of roots. We're people with a, a timeline. We're, we're, we're people with a heritage. We're people with, a, with ancestors in the faith. Uh, Lord, we're, we're people who are part of a story, God. And Lord, forgive us for being so prideful in our story that we don't see your story unfolding all around us. And Lord, thank you, Lord, for the presence of God that's here. And Lord, I thank you that your word says that, Lord, when we take communion in faith, Lord, the power of God is present, Lord. So for those who need physical healing today, Lord, we dedicate these elements to you, Lord. They're nothing in the natural, but they're symbolic of your power. They're symbolic of your authority. Lord, your authority over disease, your authority over sickness. Lord, you have authority over allergies. 
And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Some of us have not asked the Lord to heal us of allergies because we are too connected to human reason. We can name the pollen. We can name the season. We can name the technique. But we haven't called upon the name of the Lord. And how can the Lord move in your life if you don't even trust him with your allergy? I mean, think about it. How can the Lord move in your life if you're trusting? Not in, you can't even trust him for that. So the Lord may want to heal someone of an allergy today. Some of you said, I never even thought about that. Never even thought about that. He can do it. He can do it. And we thank you, Lord, for the future reign of the Lord. We thank you that eternal life started now, started now, started now. It started today. And we thank you for that. We praise you, Lord. We, we dedicate these tables to you, natural tables. Lord, tables that may not last, will not last forever. We know that. But, Lord, they're dedicated to you. And we give this time to you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want you to hold the bread, hold the cup, and after uh, everyone receives who wants to receive, we'll come back and take it together.